Chapter 4 of Catherine von Bora, Dr. Martin Luther's Wife by Armin Stein, translated by E.A. Enlig. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4, Freedom. It was Easter Eve in the year 1523. After the solemn hush of Good Friday, a bustling activity stirred the little community. The work was done in silence, it is true, for the day on which the body of our Lord lay in the sepulchre demanded quiet and reverence, but all hands were busy with preparations worthy of the highest festival of the Christian church. Groups of nuns were binding wreaths of moss and cedar branches with which to deck the images of the saints in the life-size statue of the Blessed Virgin, which occupied the most prominent place in the chapel. Others were engaged about the altar, which on Good Friday had been stripped of all ornament. They covered it with a cloth of white silk embroidered in gold and supplied the candlesticks with fresh tapers, which Leonard Coppy had lately provided. Others were building up on the altar recess a representation of the resurrection. The grave, surrounded by the prostrate watchers, and the Savior issuing from its portal, bearing aloft the banner of victory. The forenoon passed amid these preparations. The midday meal was eaten in silence, for the strict fast permitted but scanty refreshment. During the afternoon the convent was silent as the grave. The nuns, weary in body and mind from the exertions of Holy Week, rested in their cells. Since Palm Sunday, they had spent but few hours in their beds, having been engaged day and night in praying, fasting, singing, confessing, and hearing Mass. Many may, therefore, have rejoiced in the blessed Easter day, not only because our Lord was risen from the dead for the saving of the world, but also because the tired and enfeebled body might once more assert its rights and the soul awaken from its spiritual weariness to a new life. Slowly the twilight fell upon the earth. Once more the bell called to prayers, and the stewardess summoned the nuns to the thin gray Lenten soup. Then the last sound died away in the convent. The tired devotees stretched their aching limbs upon their beds to find in slumber a little strength for the last effort, the Easter vigil, that night service which, with mysterious premonition, leads the soul upward, step by step, to the supreme moment when the first ray of the rising sun startles the soft murmurs into jubilant praise, and fro the full choir, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals, the Easter hymns burst forth, Christ the Lord is risen from his martyr prison. Let us all rejoice in this. Christ our Lord and solace is. Kyrie eleison. The night was damp and cold. A bitter wind drove the ragged clouds across the face of the moon, whose pale beams threw ghostly shadows upon the earth. In the forest, the trees groaned and creaked, their branches tossed by the gale. A great wagon, loaded with barrels, moved slowly along the road leading from Torgau. When the clouds did not hide the moon, three muffled figures, sitting immovable upon the wagon, became visible. Near the convent they left the highway. One of the men sprang down and took the horses by the bridle. Do you know the road, neighbor? came a whisper from within. Have no fear, was the answer. I know every path. Follow me until we reach the water. There we will leave the wagon among the alders. You, Casper, stay with the horses and care for them. Casper was Leonard's nephew. When they reached the pond, they stopped. Casper fed and watered the horses while the others carefully groped their way through the bushes. Kapu was taking his friend's hand to help him because of his uncertain eyesight and because the pale rays of the moon, which flickered through the trees, threw but scant light upon their path. Do you see yonder garden wall? whispered Kapu. I will creep on to the spot where it meets the building. There, where the light is shining, is Catherine von Bora's cell. I am glad to see all the other windows are dark. My supposition was correct. The nuns are sleeping until midnight. But it is not yet ten o'clock. Let us see if all is safe. 
The abbess is still awake, he grumbled when they had reached the eastern front of the convent. The venerable ghost has no peace and often startles the nuns by her sudden appearances. She is a strange woman and in her dealings with me has given me much trouble by her suspicions and avarice. In her own eyes, she is a saint whose good works are so many that they reach up into heaven, like the Tower of Babel. Therefore, she has much confidence and courage and fears nothing save the screech owl whose cry so grates upon her nerves that in the springtime she pays a golden florin for every owl's egg that is brought her. Tomich murmured something that sounded like a succession of maledictions. Suddenly he stopped and seized his friend by the arm. I am not going any further with you. Why not? asked Coppy in dismay. Tomich replied in his imperturbable manner. You can forego my help in your kidnapping business. I can imitate the cry of the screech owl, he explained, as well as that of the hawk and the cat. When the time has come, I will be the bird that turns her bravery into fear. In the meantime, you do your work. Truly, you are a wise counselor, said Copy, tapping his friend on the shoulder. I am glad that I sought your assistance. It wants but a few minutes to ten. The men grasped each other by the hand, each with hearty good wishes for the success of the other. With redoubled caution, Copy stole along the wall until he reached a spot where a few crumbling stones gave him a foothold. Here he climbed up and softly crept along the top. Suddenly, a sharp cry piercing the silence reached his ear. He startled in alarm, but soon smiled at his fears. The screech owl, he said to himself. The cry was repeated at intervals, and in the meantime, Copy had reached the lighted window. He rose to his feet, but alas, it was beyond the reach of his outstretched hand. He had been deceived in the height. How was he to make himself heard? Calling was out of the question. And how would they descend? He struck with his fist upon the wall, but the sound of his blows died away against the solid masonry. Then he bethought him of a key which he carried in his pocket. With this he tapped, and it rang clear against the stones. Hark! They are moving overhead. The window is softly opened, and a head is thrust out. Your rescuer is here, he whispered, and the answer came back. God be praised. The head was withdrawn, soon to reappear, and Copy heard the words, Wait until we fasten the rope to the casement. The complaint he was about to utter died upon his lips. Women's wit had planned with better forethought than manly wisdom. In less than a minute, the end of the rope struck his head. Another minute, and the first nun stood beside him. Creep carefully forward, he directed the trembling girl. I will receive the others. Again, the screech owl shrieked. No other sound was heard, save the creaking of the branches in the wind. In wild haste, the nuns slipped down and crept along the wall. Copy followed. When they came to the breach, he sprang down and assisted them to ascend. A suppressed cry of delight was heard, but Copy angrily checked the guilty one. The time for rejoicing has not yet come. Make haste and follow. The wagon was soon reached, and the merchant hid the nuns between the barrels, covering them with straw until not a sign of them was visible. Then he hastened to relieve his companion from his post. They climbed into the wagon, and the horses were urged forward. Dark and shadowy, like a gigantic sarcophagus, the convent lay behind them. Not a light gleamed from the windows, even that of the abbess being dark. The effect of the screech owl's voice had not been miscalculated, and the old woman had doubtless sought refuge beneath her covers from the gruesome cries of the bird of death. The nuns crouched motionless in their hiding place, afraid to utter a sound. Like a millstone, the reaction from the past dangers and the fear of new ones weighed upon their spirits. 
Thus they journeyed for more than an hour. Suddenly the wagon stopped and a harsh voice called to the driver, What have you here? Herring barrels, was Coffee's short and decided answer. Do not detain me unnecessarily, friend. My limbs are stiff with the cold. The man climbed up the side of the wagon and gropingly examined its contents. Pass on, he cried, and the horses hurried forward at a more rapid pace. Suddenly, there was a stirring and a whispering among the straw, Copy and Tomich now and then adding a word of caution. The nuns would fain have risen from their stifling shelter and thanked the men who had dared so much for their deliverance, but they forbade it. After a few hours, when the sky grew rosy in the east and the first fiery ray of the Easter sun broke upon the earth, new life stirred the nuns with irresistible force, and as with one voice the exultant strain burst forth from their lips, Christ the Lord is risen from his martyr prison. Let us all rejoice in this. Christ our Lord and solace is. Carry a lizong. Leonard had lifted his hand with a warning gesture, but it sank at his side. His eyes filled with tears as he listened. The pure voices had a heavenly ring. Nor did he resist when the nuns pressed around him, took his hands, and overwhelmed him and his companions with their gratitude. In the holy fervor of her enthusiasm, Catherine von Bora stretched forth her hands and cried, Easter, Easter, thou name full of joy and of life, hear our resurrection hymn, thou Savior, who hast had mercy on us. We were dead, and behold, we live. The grave has yielded up its prey, and with the golden Easter sun, life sends us its greeting. Hallelujah! O thou world from which I fled, receive me once more. For vanity and delusion is the sanctity of convent life. Receive me, O world, shone upon by God's Son and peopled with living beings. In thee, more worthily than in the nun's habit, will I serve my God. Lord of the world, thy kingdom is wide. Thou wilt doubtless have in it a place for poor Catherine. End of chapter 4